the Lord helped me understand something a couple of years ago of studying the fruit of the Spirit. And of the, of the nine uh, attributes listed there of the fruit of the Spirit, I started to wonder, I said, why in the world is holiness not listed here? You go through and, and, and you're looking for holiness. And, and I, I think, well, my goodness, if there's any fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, it would be holiness. And as I was wrestling with that thought, the Lord spoke to me. He spoke to me and said, holiness is the culmination of all fruits of the Spirit. What, what is fruit? A fruit does not help a tree grow. Yeah. Fruit does not provide nutri- nutrition for that tree or that plant. Uh-huh. The fruit is for the next generation. And so the fruit of the Spirit in my life does not help me. The, the fruit of the, of the Spirit is not designed to help Samuel grow, to be better. It's supposed to plant a seed for somebody, somebody else. else. Somebody else. Hey there, and welcome to Apostolic Voice. I'm your host, Ryan French. Today I'm joined by Samuel Vaughn. I recently finished his first and only book called It Filled the House, The Journey from Tabernacle to Temple to Earthen Vessels. This is the most revelatory, insightful, interesting, and enjoyable book I've read about the glory of God and the divine work of the Holy Ghost inhabiting humanity in a very, very, very long time. As soon as I finished It Filled the House, I knew I had to get Samuel Vaughn on the program. Go to RyanAFrench.com for my in-depth thoughts and reactions to each chapter. And make sure you click the link in the program notes to buy a copy of It Filled the House for yourself on Amazon. Vaughn is the student pastor of New Life Apostolic Church in Watkinsville, Georgia. While attending the University of Georgia, he started a campus ministry that is thriving to this day. After graduating, Vaughn accepted the position of Campus Ministry International Director of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he travels across the United States assisting college students plant CMI chapters of their own. You're going to love this conversation. So many powerful truth nuggets and encouraging revelations. I promise this is going to bless you. Okay, so 60 seconds, and I'll be right back with Samuel Vaughn. The Journey from Tabernacle to Temple, and I have the author here with me, Brother Samuel Vaughn. Brother Vaughn, thank you so much for joining Apostolic Voice today. Yes, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Man, I love the book. I I felt a kindred spirit as I was reading it. I can tell, or at least in this book, I don't know if you're this way all the time, but you're a systematic thinker. Uh, you like to go from beginning to the end. I tend to preach that way a lot. I like to <laughs> start in the book, oh, yeah. you know, Genesis and kind of, 
uh, find a way to connect that to the New Testament and and the Bible is is incredible the way it's all connected like that and you can you can find the themes that that play out from the front to the back and um, you do a masterful Absolutely. job of that. Well, I appreciate that very much. I, I really do. And I, I was taught one time that there's just one thread that runs through the whole Bible. So if you pull on it in Genesis, then all of a sudden one of the pages in Revelation starts moving. So, That's cool. I love uh, that. I've never heard that. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm very systematic thinker. So I'm uh, glad to hear that. We're kindred spirits. Yeah, I could tell because you, you build layer on layer. Uh, chapter one all the way to the end. It's a kind of a building of the theme. And uh, it's very helpful, and I, I hope that people catch that because by the time you get to the end of the book, I don't know if you intended, I don't know if you thought from the New Testament and went back to the Old Testament, did you start out wanting to write a book about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, or did you start out wanting to write about uh, the temple? Well, uh, truthfully, I, I started just what I thought was a sermon. You know, uh, I was reading a book by my favorite author, John Bevere, mm-hmm. called A Heart Ablaze. I don't know if you've read any of his work, yes, but he's yeah. just a, a phenomenal author. And I've got several on my bookshelf right now of his. But this is, I'm assuming, one of his earlier works. And he talks about the story of Moses and the burning, and the burning bush and really just focuses on the time in the wilderness with Moses and the children of Israel and, and just really drive home the idea of devotion. Mm. And, um, and I was just, just inspired, really inspired by that book. And so I just sat down. I felt like the Lord started giving me some ideas and, um, you know, wrote a few pages of notes and scriptures and pulling here. And before you knew it, I had 40 pages of notes and I thought this is going to be the longest sermon I'm ever going to preach. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, kind of just went from there. Just really, um, the scripture that really stuck out to me, in the tabernacle. Um, I guess I had just glossed over it in my readings in the past, but it just talks about uh, when they dedicated the tabernacle, how the glory cloud filled the tabernacle. Yeah. And the Lord just kind of let the light bulb go off. And I was like, you know what? That sounds an awful lot like Acts chapter two, you know, where the sound of the wind filled the house. And then, um, you know, it was just a part of that same thread that you get to Chronicles and you read about, Solomon dedicating the temple. And then all of a sudden we see the same thing, the cloud filling the temple, even to where the priest could not minister. And so I thought, well, that's an awful coincidence that you have three, three totally different time periods, um, three totally different eras of uh, Hebrew culture. Mm-hmm. And it's the same, the same phrase. So I thought there, there might be something to this. So the book really just kind of, uh, was a, I guess, a scholastic interest for me. And I was like, I wonder what's connected here. And then lo and behold, it, it was pretty profound what the Lord, you know, challenged me and shared with me. And so I, I just started writing it down and thought maybe, well, maybe somebody else could enjoy this too. And so that's, the rest is history. It really is profound. And there's no way we're going to be able to get to every single good point that's in the book, but we'll try to hit on as many as we can. Uh, just to give people a taste, because I highly recommend everyone going and buying this book. I got it on Amazon. Is that the best place for people to go currently, or would there be a better way? 
Yes, sir. Amazon's currently the only place they okay. can get it. So well, that would be the best place. All right. Amazon's <laughs> the place to do it then. So so find it and pick up a copy for yourself. Hopefully, we're just whetting your appetite for the book today. But, you know, I was thinking, as you said, you're, you're really working on a sermon. One of the hardships of being a systematic thinker and preacher is that we know that people's attention spans are only so long. And mm-hmm. to truly systematically walk through uh, a point or a sermon, or a, it really can turn into a book. So you you kind of followed the natural um, <laughs> trajectory of yeah. of, a, of a systematic thinker. At some point, you're not going to be able to preach it at least at once, and it turns into something something profound. So you begin the book by talking about the glory cloud uh, in the Old Testament, and you made a point that I thought would be encouraging to people on this podcast. Uh, you talked about how. Typically, the glory cloud was in the front. It it led them, but then at a certain point, it moved behind them, and uh, yes. and it went from direction to protection. Can you expound on that and encourage somebody who maybe feels like they're not seeing the the glory cloud in front of them right now? Maybe you could help them understand how that might be a good thing for them. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that point, brother Ryan, was was one of the points that the Lord shared with me that helped me the most too. And because we always focus and in, in, in what I love to do part of being a systematic thinker, I love to, to put myself in the shoes of the people that, in the stories we read about. Yes. You know, what, what must it have been like to be a Hebrew just freed from Egyptian bondage? And you've, you know, walked a few days, maybe a few weeks, however long that was to the edge of the Red Sea only to turn around and see that army, several, several thousand, hundreds of chariots, you know, trapping you between a body of water and and you have nowhere to go. And, um, you know, that, what fear, um, you know, and, and we, I think a lot of times in scripture where we look at people complaining or murmuring and we think, well, they're just ungrateful. Well, you got to understand when they turn to Moses and say, why have you brought us out here to die? there's fear in their voices. I mean, they brought their families, their, their, their children. Um, you know, they, they're exposed and they trusted this man that after a few plagues and a few miracles says, follow me. And then here, here's their greatest enemy behind them. So, so I, I tried to put myself in their shoes to understand. And so they're following this cloud. And then all of a sudden the cloud moves behind them. And so, you know, it is, you know, God moved from not just being in front of them, leading them to the Red Sea, but also behind them to protect them from Egypt. So there's, and there's the, you know, the idea of God going before us and behind us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we, here's the thing, Brother French, and, and I don't even know if I put it in the book, but if we'll, if we'll just focus on following what's in front of us. Yeah. We don't have to worry what's behind us. Because we know God is with us. He's, he's before us, beside us, all around us. And so what, what they thought, you know, was, was a impending doom turned out to be provision. And not only was God putting the cloud behind them to shield them and shield them from the Egyptians so the Egyptians couldn't see where they were at, it also, in a way, shielded the Israelites from looking at the Egyptians. You know, mm, mm. almost an outside of, out of sight, out of mind. And I wonder how many times in life 
God will shield us from things because all we see is Goliath standing there. And it takes a lot of courage and faith to be David to look past Goliath and see God standing behind Goliath, you know? Oh, yeah. So um, that was that was a huge encouragement to me. And, and another thing, too, and this was kind of a revelation for me, is one of the plagues, the plague of locusts, the Bible says that to get rid of the plague of locusts, the Lord sent a, a wind that blew the locusts into the Red Sea. Mm. All, all the Israelites had to do was to look out on the water. That's what powerful. they, what they would think had trapped them actually had was a, had a testimony because there was locusts by the, I would think billions just littered all over the ground, all over the shore in the water floating, you know, it, it was everywhere. And that, that, that is a testimony enough. Oh my goodness. Even your future obstacle Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. Even your your future obstacle is littered with testimony, and it's a sign of God saying, "Trust me." He he could have he could have sent those locusts into the Mediterranean. He could have he could have sent the locusts into the Saharan desert. Why did he send them to the Red Sea? Because he knew, just a matter of time, his people would would show up, and they would need to be reminded of God's provision. A floating testimony. How cool is that? That's I like amazing. that, a floating testimony. I love that. You know, it, it hit me as I was reading it. When you go to the New Testament and you read about putting on the whole armor of God, there's nothing listed there that protects your back. There's nothing, there's no rear <clears throat> armor. And and it dawned on me that the whole principle of from the Old Testament to the New Testament of God's Word is that if you will move forward with God, move forward in faith, move forward in trust, and let the Lord lead you, if you'll fight forward, he'll come behind you at the right moment and fight the battle My for goodness. you. My that, goodness. That's so cool. So you you move from that, and and you talk about the Red Sea, and this is kind of the first hint at the beginning of the book where you start to lay the, the framework for how you're going to move into the New Testament and talk about the infilling of the spirit and, and salvation. But you likened the Red Sea to baptism, and you pull that from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So so you see the cloud as a type of the Holy Spirit. Can Is that correct? Can you lay out the, the typology that you see from the Red Sea and, and how that relates to salvation? Yes. I mean, uh, Corinthians, and I think, uh, it might be, might be Peter. Um, I might be mistaken. Maybe, maybe it was Paul in another epistle writes about they were baptized unto Moses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe he's referring to the Red Sea. And you know, brother, brother Ryan, I think this is just you know I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. This is just the way my mind thinks. Um, I believe that water baptism. This name is for the remission of sins, and, and we believe uh, receiving the Holy Ghost and, of course, repentance is a part of, of God's plan of salvation. And there's evidence even in Acts, uh, Acts 10 where Cornelius received the Holy Ghost prior to water baptism. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think the, the ultimate goal was to get to Canaan. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. To get to the promised land. Well, for us, 
promised land is heaven. What what guides us there? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. Mm. And so that that cloud, I believe, was not just God's presence at that time manifested. I believe it was a symbol for the Holy Ghost, and that that repentance you, you could argue would be uh, either the Israelites leaving Egypt. Um, I think that it's a little bit more complicated than that because they they obviously struggled. Um, and, and at Sinai, the law was given, which defined sin. But I believe the Red Sea was the typology for baptism, and the cloud was the, the typology for the Holy Ghost that led them past the Red Sea and led them throughout the wilderness until they reached the Promised Land. And I think that, man, the, the Red Sea is just this is one of my favorite things to study. In fact, and, and I hope I'm not getting off too much on a tangent here, but um, I was doing some study a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, I might, I don't, I don't want to commit to this, but I may end up writing another book on this later. But Wonderful. Um, I was studying how in ancient warfare, if a conquering king or a conquering general, general was to bring his army to conquer a city, that was protected by a body of water, be it a river or a lake, that one of the ways that the conquering general could cross that, that river was, you know, you can, you know, if it's, it's shallow enough, you can just march through it. But if it's too deep, you can't really swim through it, especially if you have chariots and chariots and horses. So one of the things they would do is they would go upstream and build a dam ah. and cut off the water. Well, if you, oh man, if you read the scripture specifically, the Bible says that the wind that, that, that parted the Red Sea was a wester, westward wind, meaning it was coming from the east mm. and it parted the water. So that tells me that that language, and, and you've studied enough to know how in Eastern writing they were, you know, they put stories within stories. Right. And that tells me that it was, it was God as the conquering king coming not to necessarily just rescue Israel, but to conquer Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And so he came from, from the east, so to speak, to, to pull Israel out, but to come and conquer that kingdom of Egypt. And so I, I could talk, talk more and more all day, but I, I, I absolutely love, love that, that story. Yeah, that that's awesome. You know, you talked at one point about um, how God used the the cloud, um, the symbol of the cloud and the fire, to humiliate the the false gods of Egypt. And uh, I I'm deviating from my notes here a little bit, but I, I specifically remember how. Uh, the sun god, and uh, can you expound on that a little bit? Because it ties into what you were just saying. The whole narrative of the them crossing the Red Sea is really God showing his sovereignty over the false gods of Egypt. Well, I, and, and this is the other part of that other book idea I'm working on, but I believe, Brother Ryan, that every one of the ten plagues were intentional because they corresponded to at least one Egyptian deity. Absolutely. 
And I'm, I'm sure you've studied some of that. I think they're, they're absolutely fascinating when, when you really start diving deep into it. So, so I think the, one of the ways God showed his, showed that he was the only God was through those plagues, proving not only to Pharaoh, but to the Egyptian people that there's only one God. And I think it was not only a message for the Egyptians, but it was a message for the Israelites who had spent, you know, nearly 400 plus years in Egypt, that when he is bringing them out of this pagan culture, this pagan land out of bondage, he chooses fire to create light in the nighttime, which the Egyptian god of Ra was god of the sun. Mm-hmm. And they believed that he was strongest during the day because the sun's up and that Pharaoh be- claimed that he was a descendant of Ra. And so um, he, you know, he, he, he put himself out to be, he was some deity. So God created light at night. Yeah. <laughs> so Pharaoh, you don't have power. Ra is not, is not a god. I'm the only god. And so he created light in the nighttime with a pillar of fire. And the cloud, of course, uh, you know, there's the God of the sky. Um, and so the, the pillar of the cloud, a visible representation that God had control over the sky, uh, was a message to the Egyptians that I, I control the elements that your gods claim to control. And, and once again, it was a message to the Israelites the same thing. Follow me, trust me, because I am the only God. Well, and obviously we know because of the golden calf that comes up later, there was a process of needing to rid themselves from all of the exposure to idolatry Mm -hmm. that for 400 years had just been hammered into them. And Mm -hmm. so here God, as he's bringing them out, he's reinforcing his oneness to them. And at the same time for us today, uh, reinforcing the reality that there's, there's one God and besides him, there's no other. Amen. Which is so cool. So in chapter two, you mentioned, and I want to just bring up another inspirational point here. A couple of them that stuck out to me. You mentioned how Moses was separated 40 days from the people and Coming back to the golden calf, the people were distancing themselves from him and from God. You compared that to to Jesus being 40 days tempted of the devil. And at that point, God called uh, called Moses up higher. Um, And how that in our lives, sometimes we have that distancing that happens as we're, you know, we're trying to grow closer to God and others are drawing farther from God. And I love that point you made. Maybe you could encourage someone with that with that thought. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is a, a lesson I have I have had to learn. Moses, you could argue, had the most um, personal relationship with God in the Bible and in the Old Testament. I think Abraham is in that conversation, and many others as well. But um, just the the interactions he had. I mean, my goodness, what, I wonder what it would have been like to see God's glory. Yeah. I, I just, I wonder what it would have been like to see a burning bush talk. I just, you know, I, I try to wrap my mind around those type of things. Um, it just, it just blows my mind, but you know, it took sacrifice. It took, 
commitment. It took being willing to be separated. And if we're not careful, we can, we can separate and we can commit ourselves to God. and He will respond. There's no question. Anytime you make a, you know, a desire to, to be consecrated, make a commitment, he will respond with, with, with power, with intimacy, with devotion. But if we're not careful, we can get frustrated with people around us that maybe don't have that desire. Yeah. And, and in ministry, especially, um, but I remember as a young person getting on fire for God after an AYC trip one time and I came back, I was going to, uh, I was in college. I think it was going into my senior year at university of Georgia. And I, I got on so on fire for God that I was preaching or uh, teaching 10 to 15 Bible studies a week. I was wow. just so, just so, and I don't say that to my glory because there's a lot of things I learned from that. Um, but I was so on fire. I wanted to see people saved, but I think the message I was trying to get across there was we have to be careful whether we're in leadership or not, but certainly if we are in leadership that we have to be careful when we go to this new spiritual level that we don't get frustrated with other people who do not. Mm. And we have to understand that some people, they might be honest, good people. They just don't have a desire to go deeper. And, and sometimes people, maybe they're just young, maybe they're just still growing in their faith and they're immature and they just don't know any better. But we have to, to, to be careful not to become self-righteous and, and, and high and lifted up, so to speak, in our spirit. Because what does the Bible say of Moses? He says, the Bible says he was the meekest man on the earth. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't, didn't let it go to his head. You know, I think, I think he is one of the greatest examples of leadership for us, that we have to be patient and we have to allow people to grow or choose not to grow if that's the case, but not let that affect our relationship with God. And the inverse is true too. If, if there are people that, you know, people are always going to be challenged by your relationship with the Lord. Yeah. And they're either going to be challenged to join you and come up higher, or they're going to be convicted because they don't, maybe they don't want to seek that. And so one way they can respond is to be, uh, to be nasty, to attack you. And, you know, you know, you're holy, you're so holy, holier than thou. Mm-hmm. Don't you remember what you used to do, say? Uh, we've all got testimonies of where the Lord has brought us from, but some people will use that testimony to shame us into not going higher because they don't have a desire to, but they feel challenged. And so Moses, I believe, is the, the perfect picture for us, an example to follow, that it is a good thing to go higher go deeper in our relationship with God, but also to be meek and to be humble. And we know that that only comes through the help of the Holy Ghost. You know, there's another thing that happens too when when you're called up higher. And I know this is difficult. Young people especially struggle to hear this, but, and I was talking to Bishop Doug White about this on the podcast just the other day. and and mm. And he was talking about there's a kind of loneliness that can come when you're when you're called higher and i think of moses having to be 40 days away from everyone and and jesus 
regularly went away. And we see this in Scripture. There's kind of a separation that happens, and it's not because they feel superior to others. It's just uh, 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 the natural process of going higher with God. Mm-hmm. And it's not always because you want to. Sometimes when you start consecrating yourself in ways that take you to a new level with God, it's not even that people are ugly to you always or, you know, calling you names, but sometimes you're just mm-hmm. not, on, you're just not on the invitation list. You know, you, you know, oh, you're, man. you're just not, you're not the first person to get the text. You're not. Yeah. Uh, and so there can be a kind of a feeling of isolation that yes. can come. I think of Elijah. Elijah is a great example of this. I mean, he really felt isolated for large swaths of his ministry and, Young people experience this a lot, I think, too, when they really make up their mind, I'm going to serve the Lord, you know, wherever I'm at, at school, out, you know, everywhere. Suddenly, maybe you're not the most invited person or have the largest group of friends. Mm. And uh, but but don't be discouraged in that because it's taking you to a new level. And, uh, yeah. and there's always an Elisha out there, and there's always people in the caves you don't know about. So hang on, because mm, God, so God will do that. You said, I love this quote, you said, the exclusive presence of God only seems exclusive to those who are unwilling to pursue him. Praying, fasting, and studying are disciplines. There's a dirty word, right? But eventually, oh, yeah. discipline becomes desire, and desire invites the divine. Can you just real quick, Tell someone how this can happen, because one of the things I get the most at Apostolic Voice is, you know, I want to pray more, I want to fast, and then I want to study more, but it, it's just, it's like, it's hard for me. Can you talk about that process of discipline becoming desire? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I'm actually going to quote a, a person that's been on your podcast not, not too recently, uh, Brother Joe Campatella. Oh, yeah. I tell you what, um, I listened to that podcast where you interviewed him, and he's he's one of my favorite preachers anyways. Um, having a background of, of campus ministry, yes. he, he would always preach to CMI conferences, either him or Brother Jackson or That's right. Or somebody. He, he just he's he's like my he's he literally wrote the book on campus yes he did literally wrote the book (laughs) joe you're one of my best friends i love you man shout out to you yeah absolutely and 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 in that episode he he talked about that very thing and it just very it challenged me um i believe he said it something like this um many people look for an exit when they should be looking for an entrance that's right Mm mm-hmm and and I'm not going to dare try and expound on that. I, you know, I, I would encourage everybody to go listen to that episode. But that just his, his whole concept of prayer, and I think that's what it comes down to, um, brother Ryan. There is discipline. You know, I think routine prayer doesn't have to be routine. Um, having a time that you schedule and you build your schedule around your relationship with God, not trying to find time in your schedule for the relationship with God that you want to pursue. I think there's definitely, you have to be disciplined about it and be rigid um, with your prayer, with your, with your Bible reading, Bible study and fasting. Um, but, but eventually 
that produces results that will encourage you to go deeper. And, and, and it becomes, you know, fasting never becomes easy. Um, you know, prayer, set aside, set, setting aside time to pray is never easy for your flesh. Right. But the more you see, the more you seek, the more you realize that invitation is, is there and it, um, it just becomes inviting. Absolutely. You said Joshua lingered in the presence of the Lord's glory, and you kind of were juxtaposing that with, you know, Moses having that direct contact, but Joshua was kind of able to be there. What does learning to linger in God's presence look like for an apostolic today in the New Testament era? You know what? I I just now am putting two two together, but I do believe Brother Capitella preached a message called Learning to Linger a few years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so my apologies to Brother Capitella for plagiarizing him uh, without <laughs> his consent. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. It uh, just happens yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this came to my mind. I, I think I think there are times when we pray, and, and not to, to make light of this, but we we, you know, we go through our, our, our daily routine. We, we, you know, spend time in prayer and we move on. But there are times when God is just almost kind of got your spirit kind of by, you know, the hands and just saying, just, just wait another moment. Um, those are special moments. They don't, they don't happen every time, at least not for me. Um, but those are special moments. I, I feel them sometimes at church as, as the altar call going on and even as pastor hammond closes the service there's times where i just want to just stay there for a moment yeah um i just i can't explain it i just feel god kind of either wanting me to stay and pray another moment or maybe he's putting a scripture in my heart to go and study i think it's important to to pray and to be disciplined but i think it's also important to just pause uh pastor ken Gurley in his book the book on prayer uh talks about a very similar concept and in during prayer he talks about uh, there's, there's four different, and I'm not going to go into the different ones, but four different types of prayer. And he, he says in his process, he goes through each one and he pauses a moment to see if the spirit wants him to stay in that vein. Mm. And that's kind of how he has learned to seek, you know, seek the Lord in his prayer. I think it just, just pausing and just, just taking a time of, of quietness, just learning to linger in his presence. Don't be in a hurry to just, to just walk away. I think it's important. You know, I hear a lot of people pray. One of the things I talk to young people a lot is, you know, they'll pray very loudly and then at the end of their prayer, they'll just stop praying and then get up and they're done. And sometimes I'll pull them aside and say, listen, you know, you've got to give God time to respond to you in prayer because if if you're doing all of the talking, then it's not a two-way relationship. It's not a two And I think we experience that, you know, we all try to avoid people who, you know, you get with them and they won't let you get a word in edgewise, you know, yeah. we all know mm-hmm. people like that. And we don't want to be that person with God, right? We want to be the person that, right. will, you know, he wants to hear what we have to say, but we've got to give him a chance to respond to. Absolutely. So explain the difference between this kind of uh, bumped, bumped my brain a little bit. You said that there's a difference between the cloud and the glory. And we usually kind of, we talk about the glory cloud, you know, and then, and we kind of use it interchangeably. Um, but you mentioned that the cloud is merely a shield or a petition that covers 
covers God's glory. Can you explain that a little bit? And I think this might be a little uh, illuminating to some some of the listeners. Pun intended, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when, uh, when the Egyptians looked up, they saw a cloud. For the most part, when the Israelites looked up, they would see a cloud. Even at, on Sinai, there was thundering and lightning, but there was a cloud. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it when the cloud would descend upon the tabernacle, it was so thick that you know the, the priests couldn't minister, and that was in the tab- in the temple as well. But when you look at the stories where Moses was in the cloud, especially at the top of Mount Sinai, there there's a description of light. And I believe that the cloud itself was not the glory of God. I believe, as, as you said, it was a shield because, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and I may, miss, may, may be misquoting this, but I believe that the Bible says, um, no man shall see the glory of God and live. Mm. I, I believe that was the mercy of God. I, I believe that the, the cloud, the outer part of the cloud was the mercy of God because if Israel had looked up to gaze on the glory, they would have all fallen dead. Couldn't handle it. And couldn't handle it. And, and, you, and you read in, in stories where God manifested, showed his glory to people, they, they fell down dead. I think Ezekiel is one that jumps right off. Um, you know, John in, in, in Revelation, even Peter, James, and John on Mount Transfiguration which that alone is an incredible, incredible story yeah. in and of itself. But yeah. I, I believe once you get in the cloud, there's light. Mm. I believe the glory is light. And so God created the, the outer shell, if you will, of that cloud to shield people from the sheer weight of his glory. And it was his mercy. Mm. And you know what? I, 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 termed, I, I coined a phrase in the book called cloud contentment. Yes. Because... The majority of people can't on the outside of the cloud. They they, get comfortable they're content there. with they get comfortable. They're content with the mercy yeah. of God. And 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 I'm not talking about any other belief system or denomination. I, I that's true of, of apostolics. Absolutely. There are many people, they're good folks, they'll get to heaven on their, you know, music and church, faithful church attendance and giving, but, but when it comes to going deeper, there's some people that are content being on the outside of the cloud. I, I don't want to be that way. Right. I, I want to I wanna hear the voice calling me into the cloud. I, I want to I see, I want to feel the glory of God. And what does that look like today? I think we've already talked about it, you know, going deeper in prayer, getting, getting more <clears throat> than just the average person in, in prayer. Because when you spend time in the cloud, when you spend time going deeper in prayer, that's when God begins to give you not just light, but not physical light, but revelation, yeah. illumination of, of himself and revelation of scripture, revelation of things going on around you. Uh, I, I think it's important. I, I never want to suffer from cloud content. And you want to hear God's voice for yourself as well. That's a that's a wonderful desire to have. Absolutely. Can Absolutely. you explain? Now I'm I'm jumping <laughs> chapters here because for time's sake. But you tie in uh, about midway through the book how 
the Old Testament tabernacle represents the New Testament church. How and why does that happen? What do you mean by that? I think that'll be a new concept for some people. When when I first noticed that that phrase was in in Exodus was similar to the phrase in Acts two and similar to the phrase I believe in Second Chronicles seven, I, I started to study it and I discovered five five similarities between these three stories. Mm. And you know, talking about being a systematic reader, systematic thinker, I just divided it up into two different categories. Okay. And so there, there are three factors that surround a move of God. And in every one of these three stories, first factor is there was a house that was built. Yes. The tabernacle, the temple. And then in, in Acts 2, the house was not a physical house, but it was the church. It was the gathering of people. In that upper room so there was, of people, there, yeah. The upper room, yeah. There, there was a not gathering the room, not of Not the room people. itself, but the people in the room. Exactly, exactly, yes. Just as we don't refer to the church of God as, you know, the physical building, the church, we're talking about the people that right. create the church. Right. <clears throat> so there was, there was a house that was built. The second factor surrounding move of God was there were consecrated people who followed instructions. Yes, critical. To create, to create the tabernacle, God gave them very detailed instructions. <laughs> yes. To, to build the temple, there were very detailed instructions. There was the, the do's and don'ts of, of how to offer this sacrifice and for this sin or that sacrifice for a peace offering and so forth. And, and the same thing in, in the book of Acts, Jesus said, Terry in Jerusalem. And so there was instructions that were followed. The third factor surrounding a move of God in all these stories was that there was sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. There was sacrifice of animals in the temple. There was sacrifice of animals in the tabernacle. And when the church uh, was built, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were people that had been praying from some people say seven, some people say a full 10 days, been praying in the upper room. There was sacrifice. So those are the three factors common across all three stories. And then the final two similarities, I categorize them as um, responses of God. So what did God do <clears throat> to respond to these three things that were done? Well, the, the first common factor of all stories is there was a cloud present. We've talked about that with the tabernacle and the temple. Um, I believe that there was a, uh, the cloud It refers to not just physical cloud we see in the sky referring, but it refers to wind or refers to the air. Mm -hmm. And that was present on the day of Pentecost. There was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Yeah. And I went into, I don't want to get too specific into all that, um, even though I find it fascinating for sake of time. But so there was a cloud. And then the, the fifth similarity of all these stories, and it was the second response of God, all, store, all three stories talk about a presence of fire. Fire, yeah. When the tabernacle was dedicated, they offered sacrifice. The Bible says that fire came from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And it was, I mean, almost identical several hundred years later when Solomon dedicated the temple with just unprecedented sacrifice, fire fell from God to show his approval. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? Cloven tongues. Tongues like as of 
fire, yeah. cloven yeah. tongues. It was that was a callback to all the Jewish readers who had been reading the Book of Acts. These stories, they they were reading about this this movement of, of, of somebody named Jesus. This they call themselves people of the way. What was the writer of Acts doing? He was he was identifying with the tabernacle, with the temple, these holy stories mm-hmm. they were familiar with. He was drawing on that, and he was doing it from the experiences on the day of Pentecost because God wanted beyond a shadow of a doubt for people to know that the day of Pentecost experience was the fulfillment of what was experienced in the wilderness and the tabernacle, what was experienced in Jerusalem at the temple. It was this new consecration. It was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It was a new temple. It was a new temple. Which interestingly, and I'm sure you've uh, pointed this out, all three of those those first elements, factors surrounding a move of God, in the New Testament was people. The house was people, the consecration mm-hmm. was people, and the sacrifice was they presented themselves a living sacrifice, their repentance. All of that was, mm-hmm. so people were now involved directly in all three factors, and then they, the people, became the temple, which is just amazing wow. to me how God pulled pulled all that together. And you pointed exactly. it out. You pointed out powerfully when when you quoted Jesus, who said, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it back up." And then the people mm. responded and said, 46 years it took to build this temple, and wilt thou rear it up in three days?" Well, they thought Jesus was speaking of of the of the building, you know, at the brick, <laughs> the mortar, the wood, and all of that. But but Jesus was talking about, "I'm going to raise up people. I'll be raised up, and I'll Shoot. raise up." People, it's it's so cool. I want to just hit this awesome oneness point you made in the book uh, from John fourteen, and I'll quote John fourteen verses sixteen and seventeen real quick. And I will pray the Father. This is Jesus. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the Word cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be. In you, and then you said, forty days after the crucifixion, Jesus ascended into heaven in preparation to pour out His Spirit on the disciples. And then you asked the, the rhetorical question: How is that possible? Because Jesus is the Holy Spirit. If that's not a oneness, uh, you, you know, nail in the in the coffin, I don't know what is. And then if you tie that as you did with Romans eight, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so. Be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have yes. not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Um, man, that's powerful. The idea that that Jesus had, Jesus was, he went, he left physically, and he came back in spirit to fill us. Uh, that mm. is so cool. I love how you <clears throat> slipped that in there. Yes, and, and, and you know this, Brother Ryan, but um, John 1 uh, 14, mm-hmm. I believe it is. He was, he dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. You know, the word was made flesh. Yeah. That word literally means the word was tabernacled. Yes. He, he, he dwelt among us. It was a callback again. Here you have John referring back to a, a Jewish idea. Yes. He was tabernacled. tabernacled. Well, when we received the spirit of Christ, 
he says, I've come, I, I've come to dwell in them, to make my, my abode in, in them, in their heart. So we now become that new tabernacle. And um, I, I, just, I just love it. I, the, the, the Bible is so clear about the oneness of the Godhead. And it's no question, again, talk, calling back to that motif of fire, the reason God sent fire on the day of Pentecost is because he was the only one qualified because he's the one that sent fire in the Old Testament. It's the same, same spirit. Yeah, the same, <laughs> the spirit, same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. You know, I, I often, I, this is a very old-fashioned, and the early Pentecostal pioneers really uh, gravitated to this. But the idea that we are our bodies, and of course it, Paul said it clearly on numerous occasions, our bodies are now a temple of the Holy Ghost. And if you study, as you did, and, and you, don't, you don't veer into this in the book, I, I think it would have been off topic and been distracting if you had. But the idea in the Old Testament, the, the, the holiness of the temple, it couldn't be defiled. Um, there were certain things you couldn't bring into it. There were things that couldn't be done to the temple or in the temple or without the temple. The same is true in our earthly bodies. Now, now that we are a temple of the Holy Ghost, it it should change our entire mindset about how we conduct ourselves inward mm-hmm. and outward, everything about us. Now that we recognize, listen, I'm, I'm that the holiness of God dwells inside of me. I can't do it. I don't want to do oh, anything. Man. I don't want to do anything to defile this temple where, where the spirit would no longer dwell inside of me because we know that we know that, uh, the holiness of God is incompatible with, with defiling things. And so people will sometimes say, why are you, why are y'all so interested in holiness and righteousness? Well, because we covet the presence of God. We want to remain yeah. filled with the presence. It's not just a list of rules and regs. It's that we really want God's spirit in our temple. Yeah. We want that desperately. Yes. You know, I, the Lord helped me understand something a couple of years ago. I was studying the fruit of the spirit. And of the, of the nine uh, attributes listed there of the fruit of the spirit, I started to wonder, I said, why in the world is holiness not listed here? Mm. And <clears throat> brother, I, I have a terrible memory. Uh, short term memory, I can't remember stuff, so I'm not going to try and name off all that through the spirit of myself here. But you go through and, and, and you're looking for holiness. And, and I, I think, well, my goodness, if there's any fruit of the spirit of the Holy Spirit, it would be holiness. Mm. And as I was wrestling with that thought, the Lord spoke to me. He spoke to me and said, holiness is the culmination of all fruits of the Spirit. Wow. What, what is fruit? A fruit does not help a tree grow. Yeah. Fruit does not provide nutri- nutrition for that tree or that plant. Uh-huh. The fruit is for the next generation. Wow. And so the fruit of the Spirit in my life does not help me. The, the fruit of the spirit is not designed to help Samuel grow to be better. It's supposed to plant a seed for somebody else. That's powerful. So when I'm presented with an opportunity to be violent or rude 
But instead, I act with gentleness. That gets people's attention. Yeah. And if there's ever a time, Brother Ryan, that we need the fruit of the Spirit, it's in a, it's in a society where we are told to speak up. And when something frustrates or doesn't sit well with us, we, we, we you know, speak out against it. The fruit of the Spirit is holiness. And so, we, you know, we think in, in, in terms of Pentecost, you know, when you speak of holiness, people automatically think, well, what standards do you follow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and, and we know that, that inward holiness produces outward holiness, but what good is outward holiness if we're not producing the fruit of the Spirit? If we're not allowing the fire of the Holy Ghost to purge some, some things that are not healthy, but, but we're, he's burning away those other weeds, burning away those other, you know, negative plants so that something can take root and grow and produce fruit for somebody else to consume. My, that's powerful. That'll preach. It'll preach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's a, here's, I'm going to quote this, uh, and it's just, man, this was, uh, this was mind-blowing to me. I'd never really pulled this together like you did. You said, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle preceded the temple because the tabernacle was a mobile place for a mobile people, while the temple was a permanent place for a permanent people. God's glory dwelt in the fleshly temple of Jesus while he walked with humanity. Now he resides in the fleshly temple of our hearts as a permanent fixture in our lives. And here's what was cool. Jesus was the living temple. Now we are the living temple. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we carry the glory of God around with us. That is so cool. And then you said the church carries both the mobility of the tabernacle and the permanence of the temple. So we're like a we're like a hybrid. The church, we the church, yeah, we're like a hybrid of the tabernacle and the temple. I thought that was so cool. I've never heard anyone word it the way you did. Uh, how awesome is that? And and. What do you make of that? I know you you uh, you related that sure. to to uh, we need to carry the gospel and and all of that. But how how does that affect us in real life? Do you think? Yeah, I think uh, when you think about the tabernacle and, and it being mobile, I mean the people were never settled, and especially the forty years wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience and rebellion. It's almost like there's a, an unsettledness across the board that physically they were unsettled, they were mobile, they were wanderers. Well, the idea was to get to the promised land and to inhabit cities they didn't build. You know, eat of of vineyards and and, and plants that they didn't plant. It's the idea of being settled, finally in in the promised land, and having a permanence was also meant to give them a type of stability. I mean, uh, my wife and I, we, we got married a year ago, and we're, you know, moved into an apartment and we're looking to buy a house. And, and the main reason is just, we just don't feel the stability in an apartment. Sure. Whereas yeah. if we're in a house, it's permanent. And I believe that that was, that was part of the, the, the design of the temple was it was a permanent location to give the people of Israel, you know, a, a, a feeling like this is, this is our home. Like we're not going anywhere else. You know, we're not, we're not going down to Egypt when things get tough. You yeah. know, we're not going to go wander in the wilderness in search of manna, you know, we're in water from a rock. No, we're here. Um, I think the problem is that, that brought on a bit of, um, contentment, if you will, Mm -hmm. like just being stagnant and not moving forward. 
so I think that there's a tension between the two. Well, what Jesus did is he, he brought the best of both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to where we have the, you know, we are sealed with the spirit unto the day of redemption. We have that permanence of the spirit in our hearts as, as spirit filled believers. But we are, you know, we, we don't have to go to one place, you know, the temple, you know, would have been like having one church we all travel to once in a while mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, across the country, or across the world. And no, we, we are the church. We have buildings and we have places we gather to share the gospel. But no, we, we are the church every day. We are mobile and yet we have a permanence about us. And I just, I love, I love, I love in literature uh, studying when there's a dichotomy. Yeah. And, and the Bible is just littered with, with things like that. Holy. And so I, I mean, it, it, I, I just love it. I can't. I can't get enough. And I love it that you love it because it's you know you don't always find people <laughs> who are as jived about it as as I am. But and that's oh, yeah. that's really really neat. And you pointed out how God designed a new house, which is us, we the church, that would always grow at the same rate of His people. That was so cool to me because you mentioned how even the yeah. even the the permanent temple that was built, if everyone as as Israel grew. If everyone would have worshipped God and brought their sacrifices, it, it never would have been a large enough building to handle all of their sacrifices and to and to minister to all of their needs. And so God said, All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna design a new house that's gonna grow at the same rate of his people. I mean, only God could could put that all together the way that he did, where there's no limitations now yes. to our worship and to our ability to grow in him. Yes. Yes. I, and, and I, I was listening again. Um, you, you had wrote in, in one of your, your episodes, I believe it was with the one, the open letter to Dr. Peterson. Oh, yes, sir. Talked about how, how oneness Pentecostals are, are not only the fastest growing, Christian uh, sect or denomination, if you want to use that word, it's one of the only growing yeah. uh, d- denominations in, in Christianity. You know, it, there's no limit to growth. There's no constraints on the building size. We talk about getting in building programs and building projects with our local churches. Well, as the church, as individuals, as people, there's no limit to how big the body of Christ can grow. And I just, I just absolutely love how the Bible paints that picture for us. It's a masterful book. Again, I hope everyone buys it. I hope you're writing another book. I hope you write a lot of books. We can't wait to buy them. I think people ought to buy three or four copies and give them away. It's a great outreach tool, by the way, because... Whether you're a longtime Christian and you just want something that will encourage you, there's lots of nuggets in this book that are going to build you up. But it's also a great book to give to someone who's new in the faith or, or trying to understand how the Holy Ghost works in their lives. And so give it away to a bunch of people if you can. Brother, I want to just close uh, with, with you giving this testimony uh, that you gave at the very back of the book where you said God spoke to you about media and your emotions. Can you share that story as we close it out? I, I think that'll encourage and bless somebody who's listening. Yes. And, and once again, Brother Campitello is getting a lot of shout outs today. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, he, he preached at a, a campus ministry conference in Maryland uh, back in 2019, I believe. And it was a powerful conference. And as he was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell, and he didn't even have an altar call. The altar call just happened. And as I was 
having my uh, had my hands raised and I was praying, I, I noticed I was like I had this thought and I, and I thought to myself I was like you know I've I've not cried this entire conference and <clears throat> that's not necessarily something that happens every time. An emotion is is a is a common side effect of somebody being in God's presence. Right. But I just thought it was odd going through an entire conference that is so powerful without crying. And as soon as I, as soon as I thought that the Lord spoke to me as clear as I've ever heard him speak to me. And he said, the reason you were not emotional in my presence is because the media you consume Mm. is designed to manipulate your emotions so that you can no longer discern between what is real and what is fake. Amazing. And I had been watching, uh, let me correct myself, I had been binging (laughs) (laughs) uh, a particular TV show where it was, you know, it was a thriller. It was this action show, and every episode, I mean, it it left you, it was a cliffhanger, you know, and you're just like, come on, why would you stop it there, you know? (laughs) Right. And, And the Lord gave me such a clarity that TV shows, movies, they're designed in a way for emotions. Yeah. And whether right it's, a, you know, some, pe- some people like sad movies, sad shows, some people like exciting, fun, you know, if it's a comedy sitcom, it's supposed to be funny. If it's a thriller, it wants to leave you on the edge of your seat and your heart's just racing, you know. And, and so what had happened is I had become addicted to that. And my emotions... I'd been come at, become addicted to a substitute to where my emotions were now trained, conditioned to respond to something that was fake. And so when I was in his presence, th- there wasn't that excitement. There wasn't that trigger, that, that addiction, if you will. And I think that that's what a lot of people struggle with, especially young people. I'm, I mean, I'm, I've been a student minister now for a, a number of years. And, you know, they just spend so much time on social media playing video games, watching, you know, Netflix or movies. And I think that that's one of the problems they have is, you know, they, they, they're, they're so full of things that are really empty. And it, and it takes those disciplines we talked about, the prayer, the fasting, just the idea of consecration and setting aside some of those things to where we can, we can just refocus and recenter ourselves. And I think that that's, you know, emotions are not, you know, a sign of receiving the Holy Ghost, they can sometimes be a, a side effect of that, but they, they're also signals for us. You know, what, what was done in the spirit often manifests in the physical and in the flesh. And I think that emotions designed by God, given yeah. to us by God, can be a good signal of where we're at spiritually. And it really comes down to really seeking what's real. Amen. Really seeking and pursuing what's genuine. Well, I'll give one more shout out to Brother Campatella because I I know what what he would say in this kind of a setting. We only have so many emotions that we can give to so many things in any given day or week or time. And the same is true with social media. It's like I know people that can get really wrapped up in their emotions are wrapped yes. up in what they see and or even how yeah. people are responding to them on social media. That can be a big thing for people. And yes. and so if you view your emotions as a commodity that that can run out, you realize you have to save some of it. And and so 
if you really want to challenge your fast. Now, I'm one of these people. I believe that fasting is fasting. You know, I think it's great to do variations of fast, and it can be spiritually. But in the end, fasting is refraining from food and, and drink. But I agree. If you if you really want to challenge yourself, I do encourage you uh, take a media fast for a week and see how you respond to that, and watch how you grow more sensitive. Not listen. I'm here with media. I've got a Absolutely. I've got an iPad, an iPhone. I have a, a very expensive. Uh, digital board and a MacBook Pro. Okay, so like I'm yeah. not preaching that you know that people need to <laughs> not use media, but I am saying right. you know if you take a break for a week because you realize that maybe you've not been as sensitive to God as you used to be, you'll realize very quickly that by purging yourself of that, you'll reorient your emotions and be able to feel things that that you weren't able to. Yeah. Feel. Yes, yes, absolutely. And just to, to kind of bring it full circle, um, that that moment at that conference, of course, God broke some things in me in that moment. And I repented of that. And I actually went on a, a um, extended media fast or media break. And because of that, that consecration, God began to do some things in my life. And I got to the point where even after a few weeks, I had such strong faith that I believed if I prayed for anything, God would do it. And God did reward many of those prayers. And it was during that season of consecration that God spoke clearest for this book. And so this book really was born out of that time of, of refocusing and, and, and consecration. Wow, I believe that. And I can, I can sense that consecration in the writing. And uh, man, my spirit bears witness with you. I appreciate you and your ministry. Let's stay in touch, okay? And um, I look forward to meeting you in person and can't wait for your next book. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Ryan. Appreciate the opportunity today. God bless you, brother. Yes, God bless you. the French family. Hello. What up? Talmadge, Julia Lynn, and the lovely Taylor are here, and I'm your host, Ryan French, and today... We're going to be trying Snickers popcorn. Yes. That's going to be amazing. I have no idea, so this is... Let let me look at the bag. Okay. Oh, popcorn's everywhere. Uh, Let me me read it. Okay, so this is... Candy popcorn Snickers made with (laughs) Snickers candy pieces. I'm trying to see the brand of the... Oh, Ryan Seacrest Foundation. Okay, I don't know what that means. Julia. I don't know what what brand puts this out, but we got it at Kroger. Candy Pop. Candy Candy Pop Pop is, is the brand, I guess, but we got this at Kroger. 
Uh, so this should be something easy to find. Yes, it's going to be amazing. So the rules for Gross Good Great are... Julia's uh, already out the popcorn. It has to be something. <laughs> they're already trying it. It has to be something we've never tried. We've never tried this before. It has to be something you can find locally. We think that's true. Um... We rate on a scale of 1 to 10. 1, 2, and 3 is gross. 4, 5, 6, 7 is good. And 8, eight 9, 10, 10 is great. great. And we have to be honest with our deal. And also, we have to chew into the microphone. Yes. All right. So, sweetheart, you grab, I don't know if you want a handful or All just right, two I mean, or three. I mean, uh, Julia, you already have some? Yep. You already been three, eating it? Okay. Two, All right. I'm going to try some. Here we go. Go, go. Mm hmm. Ha, ha, ha. and salty. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should take a few more bites. Eating something. Mm -hmm. So basically it's like buttery popcorn and it has chocolate caramel and little peanuts. Um Okay. Yeah. Alright. So who's got an opinion? Me. Alright, what you got? It's a nine. A nine? Julia wow. likes it. Wow. You Julia loves it. Alright, I'll go next. <laughs> so, the peanut butter, chocolate, and savory, salty flavor of the popcorn reminds me of peanuts, and that's like my least favorite food ever. And it tastes like peanuts, too, what? even though there is no nuts in it. So, I'm going to well, rate that nuts. a two. Yeah, there's nuts on it. There's little, little tiny, little nuts. Well, then that's a two. That right. just made it lower. <laughs> Joy's a nine. You're a two. What you? What do you think, babe? I give it a two as well. It was absolutely disgusting. What? Nothing about it I liked. What? No, it was disgusting. What? Nothing was good about it. There's nothing yummy. It's kind of disgusting. It's kind of tasteless too. Yeah, I agree with Tell Um, I don't know if it's just because I'm on this calorie counting diet. <laughs> And so <laughs> I'm at this point where like anything with sugar in it tastes literally like heaven on earth. So I don't know if you can take my uh, my rating as gospel because at this point I could probably just eat sugar and be like, wow, that's the most delicious thing that's ever been created. But uh, I, I I give it a nine for sure. Oh wow! I'm up there, Julia. I I could eat that whole bag. Two two nine nine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I could eat that whole bag. And I would buy it again. No. I would buy yeah. it again, and I would look forward to it. Well, next time, are we gonna try the um, uh, the um, the cinnamon uh, popcorn? What yeah, is it the called? Cinnamon toast crunch popcorn. Oh yes. yeah, we do need to get the cinnamon toast or crunch. the sour pouch ones. Yeah. Sour patch. So that we're just gonna be going popcorn. Yep. It's like candy bars and popcorn. All popcorn all the time. Yep. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, it's been fun, y'all. Uh, give us a, a rating. I've got quite a few new ratings on uh, the iTunes, so thank you for that. Five stars! And nine paragraphs long. Yep. A couple heathens have given us one stars, but we're not so, discouraged. We walk by faith and not by sight. <laughs> you have to give us ten stars. Well, there's only five. To give. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but... But, you know, in your heart, you, give us ten you stars. Can, uh, you can... If you have multiple different things that... Like, uh, I don't know what they're called. But then you can uh, to give two ratings. Let me, let me read this real quick as we're going out. I, I, like, um, I like this guy. He said... Um, oh, where is, he, where is he at? Let's see. 
I gotta say. Um, re- okay, great podcast. This is Music to Jesus. I don't know. Hey, Music to Jesus. Great podcast. Recently started listening and I'm currently listening to the December 18 edition. Uh, I can only imagine Mary would have also been annoyed by the little drummer boy, especially if he was truly banging on a drum while baby Jesus was sleeping. I got tickled by that. So thank you, music to Jesus. That's awesome. All right, everybody. See you later. God bless. Bye. Bye.